You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Julie Larson Brisher, Science and Technology Editor for Meeting Place Magazine. Welcome to Episode 48 of Meeting Pod, where we're talking poultry meat quality, food safety, bird stunning systems, and animal welfare with Dr. Diana Barassa, Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist in the Department of Poultry Science at Auburn University. Diana's current applied research topic areas are based on needs identified through her extension programming, including alternative methods for euthanasia of large birds, the impact of stunning methods on bird physiology and product quality, and the effects of primary processing parameters on carcass microbiology. Her research interests also include carcass sampling methods for foodborne pathogens, as well as the effects of on-farm interventions on fully processed carcasses. Diana's extension activities include working with the commercial poultry processing industry, as well as educating youth and small flock owners about poultry processing and food safety. She heads the HACCP Roundtable Program for the USDA FSIS Jackson District. Prior to joining the Auburn faculty, Diana worked for several years as a research technician at the USDA ARS's U.S. National Poultry Research Center in Athens, Georgia. In 2021, she was the recipient of the Poultry Science Association's Early Achievement Award, which recognizes the achievements of PSA members in the early stages of their career in poultry extension. Welcome to Meeting Pod, Diana. I'm happy to have you as a guest on the podcast today. Thanks for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. As I noted in the introduction to this episode, your role as an extension specialist often informs the type of research you pursue. Can you give us a little more detail about your extension activities at Auburn and what kinds of questions you field from Alabama poultry producers and processors and whether any of those interactions have resulted in research projects? As you mentioned before, I head the HACCP Roundtable for the Jackson District for FSIS, but I have several other programs. We do a euthanasia training program. I have a monthly newsletter called the WOGS Newsletter that was started by Sarge Bogilly, but I've taken that over since I started here at Auburn University. And I spent a lot of time speaking at workshops such as the U.S. Poultry and Egg Processors Workshop and the NAMI Animal Care and Handling Workshop, where I've talked about both food safety and stunning methods for broiler chickens. But I spent a lot of my time doing technical assistance with the poultry integrators and also the allied industry. And mostly I spend time working on both food safety. So I spent a lot of time of antimicrobial interventions during first processing and on raw carcasses and parts. But I also work on stunning methods. So looking at electrical and gas stunning methods already installed in processing plants. So we do a lot of troubleshooting. They have an issue with a meat quality problem. We kind of try to figure out 
where that problem's coming from, whether it's maybe stunning, sometimes picking, viscerations. So it's a lot of troubleshooting that we do with extension. What are some of the most rewarding aspects of your work as an extension specialist? And would you share some examples of moments that have been particularly rewarding or even surprising? Well, I think the best part of being an extension specialist is I actually get to go out into the industry and see the real world. It's really nice working on today's problems, which leads to research working with today's problems. So they have immediate impact that you see day to day in the poultry industry. And I really, I really enjoy the instant gratification of helping somebody. <laughs> right. Particularly rewarding project that I worked on is there was this company having trouble with red wing tips. So they had red wings, red wing tips. It was nearly 100% of their birds. And after some discussion, they let me know that they had recently installed a new stunning system. And part of their installation affected where the system was located within the, the plant. So what had happened is the birds were being shackled too far before the stunning system. So they're getting all these red wing tips because the birds were hanging for too long. So it, it really took a lot of just kind of discussion of what's going on in the process, what things have changed. And it was nice that after this discussion, they made some adjustments and they were able to reduce this meat quality problem by to a quarter of what it, the original problem was. So it's nice to be able to you know help somebody make a difference and see immediate results there. In summer 2021, U.S. Poultry, the association, <laughs> announced the completion of a funded research project at Auburn in which you and your colleagues evaluated four euthanasia methods for large poultry. And I'm wondering if you'd tell us a little more about your findings from that study, what the drivers are and how these systems work and what's the effect on poultry meat outcomes. So what we did with this project is we looked at the four euthanasia methods. So we looked at mechanical cervical dislocation. We looked at captive bolt euthanasia, carbon dioxide euthanasia, and electrical euthanasia. And the bottom line of what we found is they are all effective. However, the mechanical cervical dislocation was not necessarily as good as the other three. But it was still effective. And if you consider the different possibilities where if you're trying to euthanize, say, a broiler breeder male, it's extremely difficult to do. So although the mechanical cervical dislocation was not as good as captive bolt, CO2, or electrical euthanasia, it's still better than doing a poor job by hand. So not as good, but still better than messing it up. So that was kind of the bottom line of the study that we did. So there are differences in the euthanasia methods for large birds but still better than, than not doing it right at all. The second part of your question was about meat quality outcomes. And I'm glad you asked this question because it, it brings me to a teaching moment that I love to teach the students is that euthanasia and slaughter are not the same thing. So for our euthanasia study, our goal here was to look at euthanasia methods for a single bird. So this is not mass to population either. Is mainly intended for the farmer. So the farmer can go and euthanize a turkey or a broiler breeder in a humane way, which euthanasia is humane killing of animals. Slaughter is killing the animal for meat production. So when we're talking about poultry meat quality, euthanasia has nothing to do with poultry meat quality because we're not going to eat those birds. 
So we didn't look at mean quality at all because at that point, when you're just euthanizing a bird because uh, whatever, you know, health reason or it doesn't really matter what the meat quality is. Well, with regard to controlled atmosphere stunning, it appears that there is interest from poultry processors in making that switch from electrical stunning to CAS systems. And as you noted in a recent presentation that I attended in 2017, there was one survey that reported that the most poultry industry respondents said they expected between 10 to 49% of the industry would be using CAS by 2024. So is that adoption rate proving true? And what are the advantages or disadvantages of these systems? I mean, do you think that adoption of CAS will increase in the next several years and why? I don't think that adoption rate is proving true just yet. With discussions of poultry processors, we talked about it a little bit, and it was kind of hard to figure out. But we we basically decided that we're at less than 5% of poultry processing plants in the United States have controlled atmosphere stunning systems. So I don't think we're going to make it to 10 to 49% by 2024. As far as the advantages and disadvantages of CAS systems, well, the advantages are pretty clear. You don't have to handle the birds other than harvest after they come to the processing plant. So there's no live or conscious shackling of birds. There's no tipping of crates. Big improvement in minimizing handling of conscious birds. It also has an advantage of a uniform stun. So if you have a variable flock, even the little birds and the big birds are all going to get the same stun because they're inside that chamber. So that really makes a big difference. There's some disadvantages. One of the big ones is controlled atmosphere stun systems are really expensive. And the CO2, if you use that type of system, has to continually be purchased to stun the birds. Another disadvantage is it takes a bit of time for the birds to lose consciousness. So unlike the electrical stunning, when, in my opinion, when the electrical current grabs the bird, that bird becomes unconscious. But when you're looking at gas stunning systems, it takes 60 seconds, 90 seconds or so for those birds to lose consciousness. And all during that time, they're breathing carbon dioxide if they're in a CO2 type system, which is not a a particularly pleasant experience. So There's definite advantages, but there's also some disadvantages as well. The last part of your question is whether I think that CAS will be adopted in the next several years. Yeah, I think more and more processing plants will use these CAS systems. And the main reason is the market. There's been at least 200 plus companies that have put in their policies that they will only purchase chicken that has been stunned through cast systems by 2024, summer 2026. So the market's going to drive the need for cast systems. And hopefully these companies will be willing to pay the premium that's going to be required to buy cast chicken meat. So why would they consider moving to a CAS system if they're so expensive? Well, there's a lot of pressure from animal welfare groups to move to more animal welfare friendly stunning systems. And the cast systems generally appear to be more animal welfare friendly because you don't have to do all the the animal handling and there's less issue with recovery following stun. But we don't really know as much about meat quality. There's been quite a few studies comparing the controlled atmosphere stunning to European electrical stunning, but they do things differently in Europe than they do here in the U.S. So 
the meat quality is definitely better for CAS systems when you're comparing that to the high-voltage European electrical stunning systems. But here in the U.S., we use low-voltage electrical stunning, so there's less problems with meat quality. So some integrators will say, yes, the CAS system is so much better. Some will say, no, it's not. And what we're trying to do in my lab is to do some research studies and publish the data publicly so anybody can look at it and really see what those differences in meat quality are when we're looking at commercially used parameters for both electrical and CAS systems. Well, what about low pressure atmosphere studying? Are there barriers to adoption of lab systems in the U.S.? I think that low atmosphere pressure stunning is an excellent type of stunning system. So there's been a lot of research looking at meat quality and brain waves and lots of really good information about lapsed stunning systems, but they haven't really been adopted very much. And I think the main barrier to adoption of low atmosphere pressure stunning systems is simply the fact that they're available for installation, but they're just not out there. So people don't have experience seeing it and trying it out. And you kind of have to have, you know, the, the major companies try something for before everybody else gives it a shot. <laughs> right. But I think it's a really good system. Well, what tips or suggestions do you have for processors deciding which kind of stunning system to use? Should they switch to something? And how do they determine, you know, what's going to best suit their operations needs? Well, I think it really comes down to who their customers are and what their customers want and whether the customer is willing to pay the premium for the more expensive type of system. So that's when they, you know, they talk to the people they sell their chicken or turkey to. And they also bring their economist into the discussion to figure out, you know, how much is it going to cost to install a system, to operate the system, how much is the customer willing to pay per per pound? And then how long is it going to take to get a return on investment? What it really comes down to is the ROI for installing the systems. Right. Well, what other research do you have in the pipeline, Diana, that's got the potential to improve either poultry welfare, meat quality, or food safety in a processing operation? Well, right now we're working on collecting preliminary data, looking at biomarkers in broiler blood. And we're comparing electrical and gas stunning systems at currently commercial parameters. We're just kind of right now collecting preliminary data for hopefully to get some funding to do some more in-depth research. Uh, We're looking at some meat quality things, bringing an economist on board, trying to get that information out there so that companies can have a little more information to make their decisions on what they want to do. So we're spending a lot of time looking at stunning. We're also continue evaluating antimicrobial compounds for first processing and and on raw products. That's kind of a a standard program I always have running in the background. I'm a microbiologist, so I've spent a lot of time looking at salmonella and campylobacter raw poultry products. Another real exciting project that I've been working on is actually in collaboration with Dr. Brendan Higgins and our biosystems engineering department. What we're doing is we're looking at poultry processing wastewater and using that for controlled environment agriculture. So basically, he's got his treatment train. He treats the water and then we grow romaine lettuce with it. So that's kind of a cool project that we're working on. And we're, we're also looking at uh, some more wastewater things with using DAF solids and trying to treat those so they can be used as a fertilizer for land application. As an extension specialist, I get the opportunity to do a little bit of everything, and that keeps me entertained. 
I really enjoy that. Well, thanks so much, Diana, for taking the time to share your insights with us today on Meeting Pod. And listeners, you can find out more about Auburn's Department of Poultry Science on their website at agriculture.auburn.edu slash research slash poll. That's P-O-U-L. There you can learn about the department's research work in the areas of poultry production, efficiency and sustainability, avian health and well-being, and food safety and quality, as well as access links to extension pages and Diana's faculty page with details on her latest publications and research projects. Also, be sure to click through to see updates on the progress of the new Charles Miller Jr. Poultry Research and Education Center, a comprehensive farm located on a 30-acre site in North Auburn. At present, the center is in its final phase of construction, nearing a completion date in 2021. Current construction includes a processing plant, bird research houses, as well as several supports facilities. The Miller Center also is home to the National Poultry Technology Center and the Alabama Poultry Hall of Fame. And please do visit our website at meaningplace.com to access our technical article archives and podcasts to get more smart manufacturing advice first published in our R&D Matters newsletters. Thanks again, Diana. I'm looking forward to hearing more updates on your research at IPPE 2022 in Atlanta in January, and maybe to touring that new Miller Center next year. Thank you, Julie. I'm looking forward to coming to Atlanta, and we're just down the road a couple of hours from IPPE. So you're welcome to come and visit, and I'll show you around the Miller Center. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.